Okay, welcome back everybody. This is uh, session two out of five uh, here at Web Yeshiva of the mini course called Food for Thought, the Torah of Eating. And uh, just to repeat uh, what we said from, from last time, in general, we will be doing uh, one hashkafa topic and one halacha topic followed by the Parsha recipes and dessert ideas at the end. Uh, the, uh, this week is... Uh, on the same same topic, uh, namely vegetarianism. Uh, so I figured that we can uh, I can make the source sheet for the hashkafa longer than usual because uh, really they're they're both about the same the same topic anyway. Uh, just a little uh, a little introduction. Um, when uh, uh, when I was. Uh, uh, 20. When I was 20, I uh, uh, I stopped uh, eating meat. Uh, so that's most of my uh, not, most of my life has been uh, in the status of being a vegetarian. Uh, I read a book uh, that convinced me. It was called Diet for a New America by John Robbins, uh, and he argued that on grounds of uh, of health and cruelty to animals, and also an environmental issue, which I didn't quite understand, um, it's better for people not to eat an, uh, meat. Uh, meat or or, uh, or chicken. Uh, so I uh, I decided um, I'm going to uh, to do that. I'm going to stop eating meat. At first, I uh, I said to people, I'm not a vegetarian because you know in religious circles that often has uh, connotations of uh, different ideologies and uh, people are very defensive about it. So I said I'm not a vegetarian. I'm just not eating meat. And for some reason that that didn't go over well, people had no idea what I was talking about. It was too subtle, so I started saying, "Fine, I'm a vegetarian, but uh, I am what some people call a level two vegetarian, uh, meaning I do eat fish, but I don't eat meat or chicken. I once had a conversation with another Orthodox rabbi vegetarian, Rabbi David Levencruz, who uh, for many years was uh, one of the administrators at Pardes in uh, Pardes Institute in uh, in Yerushalayim, and uh, but I I met him earlier when he was at Yeshiva Hamivtar. We were both there, and he said that uh, he knew a whole bunch of vegetarians, both Jewish and non-Jewish. But he said the uh, it was only among the Jews that he found this uh, in between position, saying I am not going to eat meat or chicken, but I am going to eat fish. And uh, and he suggested his theory was that um, it's because regardless of whether you uh, are completely observant of uh, kashrut or not, if you're Jewish and somewhat knowledgeable, you probably are aware that fish does not count as meat in uh, for halachic purposes. So therefore, it's possible to make a distinction between fish and meat. Uh, whereas he continued, if you're not Jewish, so. Animals are animals. What does it matter if some of them walk and some of them fly and some of them uh, uh, swim? Uh, either you eat animals or you don't. Uh, I thought that was an interesting uh, uh, theory. I have not done any uh, scientific uh, uh, studies. Um, even to this day, I do find people uh, who who say, "But are, are you even allowed to uh, be a vegetarian if you're following halacha? What about... Uh, what about Yom Tov? What about Shabbat? And that's going to be our, our halacha topic for this session, after the Hashkafa one. Uh, we'll do that near the end of the session. Uh, people sometimes also say, what about the Karban Pesach? Uh, after all, when there's a Beit HaMikdash, then uh, there's an obligation to uh, eat uh, of the Karban Pesach uh, on, uh, on the night of the Seder. So... Uh, when people ask me that, I say the same answer that I've heard from, from uh, other people as well, which is, uh, I will be willing to eat a kezayat, the size of an olive, of meat once a year in order to fulfill a Torah obligation, sure. But that has nothing to do with uh, eating habits uh, the rest of the year, and certainly now that there isn't a Beit HaMikdash. Meaning even when there is a Karim Pesach, even when there is a a, a, a Beit HaMikdash, an individual does not have to eat of a given carbon as long as somebody eats uh it and the current Pesach is an obligation, a collective obligation, but each individual has to eat a kazayat. Okay. Anyway, uh, just to conclude the uh, 
this uh, introduction, um, I was lucky to marry someone who, while she does eat meat and serves meat, uh, she is a vegetarian sympathizer, so I didn't have to spend a lot of time uh, arguing about it. Although we concluded pretty quickly that we are not going to have just one set of dishes, uh, I thought it would make life easier uh, for for kashrut. But uh, no, we do uh, we do have uh, two sets. I see that Mark asked, "Do I look forward to slaughtering animals in the Beit Hamikdash?" Well, I'm not going to do it, um, and no individual uh, kohen needs to do it. Uh, it would be interesting if everybody wanted to be a vegetarian, but I don't see that as uh, changing uh, uh, anytime soon. Uh, on the question of is it appropriate to kill animals for carbonate, I have a whole shiar about that. The short answer is I, um, in, the, uh, in the words of, let's see if I can find the quote uh, offhand. Uh, just a minute. Uh, here it is. Um, from Rabbi Brad Artson of Los Angeles. It, it is a paradox of contemporary living that people who eat dead cow for lunch while wearing the flesh of animals on their feet and to keep their pants up consider it barbaric to kill an animal for a re- religious purpose. Meaning as long as people are eating meat, then they should not have a problem uh, with, uh, with carbonate. But that's, that actually is a uh, separate topic. Let's, uh, let's get right into the Hashkafa issue. Um, uh, I'm, this is not going to be an overview of all the sources because that would take a, uh, way too long. I don't know if I could do a whole semester, but uh, certainly you would need more than one session for this. Uh, we're just going to present an approach that appears, or a ver- couple of variations on approach that appears in, um, in two or three uh, classic uh, sources about the idea of to what extent vegetarianism is, uh, is an ideal from a Torah perspective. So I have a separate shear on uh, Parshat Noach and vegetarianism, and I have a, yet another separate shear about, uh, about um, eating meat and Parsha Re'eh. So we're just going to do a few of the, uh, of the sources uh, in this session. So the, um, in fact, st- uh, jumping right into Torah Shabbat Pen, then we'll go back to it uh, to look at it. Gemara, starting from source number three, the Gemara in Sanhedrin, Dafnun Tet, Says Amar Rav Yehuda Amar Rav Adam Harishon, um, as in Adam, um, the uh, the first person, uh, the first first man. Depending on when you hear it for this purpose, Adam and Chav are the same. Lo hutar lo basar They were not allowed to uh, to eat meat, uh, as it says in the pasuk that uh, appears right over here uh, in in source number one. In fact, let's, let's look at that, that Pasuk now, and then we'll go back to the Gemara. Uh, after God says, be fruitful, multiply, um, conquer the earth, and you will rule over the, the fish and the, and the birds and the, and the animals. God says to uh, Adam and Chava, I have given you all the plants. Asher al pnei koharetz. Um, but any any tree that has uh, that gives fruit has seeds. You are allowed to eat all of the vegetable um, uh, matter. You can eat from uh, all the plants, and I've given it to you. And God says, I have also given it the the uh, vegetables, vegetable kingdom, to the animals. Okay, so the Gemara derives from this that um, if God specifies, you're allowed to eat the, uh, the, the plants, that implies that you're not allowed to eat the, uh, the animals. Uh, um, the Gemara goes on to say, it's, uh, 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 it is for you to eat the plants, and it's for the animals to eat the plants, but the animals are not for you. And when uh, the children of Noah came, meaning, as we're about to see, uh, what God said to Noah and his children when they came out of the, the ark after the flood, God permitted them to eat animals. As it says, we're about to see the Pasuk. I have given you everything like the plants. Let's look at that right, right, right here. This is in, in source number two, Bereshi Perak Tet. God said to Noah and his children, 
meaning God starts by giving them the same directive, what looks like the same directive that he gave to Adam and Chava. It's a little bit different here with the, uh, but these animals will fear you, which is not the same thing as what it said earlier, you will rule over them. Um, uh, I've given them to you. Kol remas hashehuchai, anything that, literally, that, that uh, crawls, uh, that, that is alive and moving things. Lachem yalachla, you're allowed to eat them. Kiyerek esav natatu lachem et kol. I have given you everything, I've given you all of them, just like the plants, meaning just like I gave Adam and Chava and the last uh, 10 generations or so between them and you, I'm allowing, I allowed them to eat, uh, uh, to eat the plants. So from now on, you are allowed to eat animals also. They're just as permitted for you to eat as the vegetables have been permitted for everyone to eat until now. And then God goes on to say, ah, but, but you're not allowed to eat it while it's alive. And nefesh uh, in, uh, in biblical Hebrew usually means uh, alive with its blood, which we interpret to mean both that one of the seven mitzvot that applies to all human beings is they're not allowed to eat aver menachai, they're not allowed to eat an animal while it's still alive. And also, um, this is a, a precedent for what will be, uh, what will, the mitzvah that God will give after uh, the Torah is given to, uh, to the Jews, you're not allowed to eat the blood. Um, and your blood, people blood, I will hold you responsible for. Anybody who, who kills another human being will be held responsible for that. If, if a person spills the blood of a person, through a person their blood should be spilled because God made people in God's image. So the, the Gemara derives from the apparent, uh, the, the parallels compare and contrast that uh, Adam and Chava and everybody until, until the marble, everybody was allowed to eat um, uh, vegetables, uh, fruits and vegetables, but not animals. And since Noah, people were allowed to, uh, to eat uh, animals. The question then is, and this is just a, four sources, but we're not going to spend too much time on this. Uh, the question is, what changed? Why, uh, why should God have changed the rule? So, um, We'll just look at a, a couple of, uh, of sources that the, the Gemara, the, uh, the Medrash and Breshit Rabbah says uh, that what the, the animals would be afraid of, uh, of people after the flood, but not the ruling over them, that there was some kind of status that, uh, that, that Adam and Adam's descendants had with regard to animals. God appointed Adam and the people to be the rulers of the animals. And that did not uh, come back after the flood. So skipping to Rav Yonatan Grossman, source number six, um, he's, uh, uh, teaches, he teaches Tanakh at, at Barwan University as well as Machon Herzog and Elon Shavut, just doing little bits and pieces. Uh, he says on the, on the top right, the responsibility of a king is to concern himself with the social order in his kingdom, justice, righteousness, take care of his subjects. So long as man's position involved ruling and governing the world, he clearly could not eat his subjects. However, when man failed in this task, thus leading to the flood, um, the harmony of the entire system uh, was, was disrupted. And following this, God renewed the world, but this time people were not given the same reins of, of rulership. Man still has immense power, but, and can be described as the, uh, the top of the food chain, uh, but man nevertheless remains a creature preying on those weaker than himself. In other words, to some extent, it, the being allowed to, uh, to eat meat, according to this Rev Grossman interpreting the, uh, the Midrash, is because we can no longer continue uh, with the uh, failed position of ruling over the animals, in which case we weren't allowed to eat them. Since we're no longer ruling over the animals, then there is a possibility of, um, of being able to... Uh, uh, to not be responsible for them per se, but being able to, to kill them as needed. The way the Ramban formulates it is a little bit different. He says in source number five that it's because Noah, following God's uh, instruction, took representatives of all the animals uh, uh, in the ark in order to save them from the, fl- from the flood, 
Therefore, since they all owed their lives to Noah, and his and uh, since the animals now owe their lives to uh, to people, therefore God gave people permission to uh, um, to to kill and eat the animals because they wouldn't be in the world at all if not for uh, for Noah saving them. Uh, that's a very different type of uh, of answer from the one given by uh, by uh, Rav Grossman. The uh, it's interesting that even though, like, as I started to say before, there's a lot. There's a lot more you could say about this. Just say a, just a little bit more before we move on to uh, to Sefer Devarim. Um, that uh, this is still Rav Grossman here, the top right of page of page two. That uh, God originally said to Noah and source, sorry, in, in Adam to source one, let us make man in our image, and they will have dominion over the fish, the animals, etc. In that context, in, in Breshit, Perak Aleph, man appears only at the conclusion of the creation of the world and all the other creations are already in place. Okay? So, Noah, he, I'm sorry, Adam. <laughs> uh, he was not part of this world, not part of the animal kingdom, but, you know, in a position of responsibility for it. In contrast, uh, after the flood, people are an integral part of these worldly creations with no special status. Uh, granting them rulership. So therefore, they don't appear at the conclusion uh, as rulers, but rather all together with the other creatures. Now, God uh, restarts, reboots the world, and everybody appears at the same time. So people are mammals, and therefore, uh, they, uh, uh, in, as far as e- uh, eating rules, they, they don't have any rules to set them apart from animals. This, was, this is all Rev Re- Grossman's understanding of why... Um, why Noah and his descendants were allowed to uh, to eat meat. A variation of this appears in uh, Shear by Rav da- Rabbi Doctor Tamir Granot. He's the uh, the head of uh, Yeshivat Orot Shaul in uh, in Tel Aviv, um, and he suggests that look at the second paragraph, talking about Noah. From now on, uh, people may make use of animals, but this is related to the selection of a smaller group. This is which is paralleling what later happens during the course of Sefer Breshid, Avraham and his descendants are selected to set them apart from everybody else. And then God, God made a covenant with Avraham and uh, Avraham had more responsibilities. So here, going back to Noah, this new kingdom that, uh, in which that Noah and his descendants are separate from, from everybody else, this is in some sense the not exactly the opposite, but a di- different, different approach from Rabbi Grossman. They're, the overarching principle of the humans after the flood is the image of God, which is what God uh, emphasized uh, to explain why you're allowed to kill animals. You're not allowed to kill people. Why not? Because people are creating the image of God. Animals are not. As opposed to what was the ar- overarching principle before the flood? Life. People are alive. So with among people who are alive, uh, uh, creatures who are alive, People were in charge of the other c- creatures who are alive, but now God made a distinction, separating the people from the rest in the sense for extra, extra uh, rules, extra responsibility, in the same way that God would later separate Avram and his descendants from the rest, make a uh, smaller group and give them extra uh, responsibility. Um, so this is uh, a very brief uh, summary of some of the sources about why Adam was allowed to eat to eat only the vegetables, uh, fruits and vegetables, but only starting with, with Noah. There's a lot, lot more uh, material on this. But for our purposes, let's skip to after the Torah is given because um, somebody wants to object. How can you say that vegetarianism is an ideal? One of the mitzvahs in the Torah is to kill an animal. I mean, there are a bunch of mitzvahs in the Torah that have to do with killing an animal for God, but killing an animal for yourself to eat, this is one of the, the mitzvot. Let's take a look at that briefly. When I've given a shear in, in the context of Sefer Re'e, the, of uh, Sefer Dvarim and Parsha Re'e, there's a lot of material before and after in, uh, in Parsha Re'e that, that fits in with this. But we're just going to be focusing on a few psukim here. Uh, after it says that, after it speaks about carbonate, uh, you're not allowed to, uh, to kill an animal for God. Just anywhere, you have to go to the, uh, to the central location, the Mishkan, and eventually the Beit HaMikdash. Rock, this is Perak uh, Yudbet, Pasuk Tetvav, here in source number eight. Rak Bechovat Nafshecha, 
but with all of the desire of your, remember I said before, nefesh in biblical Hebrew usually means life. Sometimes it doesn't mean life, it means appetite. Here, with all the desire of your appetite, tizbach v'achaltavasar, you can slaughter and eat meat, kivarkat in accordance with God's blessing that God gives you. Uh, then it speaks about, about uh, different, uh, different types of animals. Rock, but hadam lo when you do eat meat, you're not allowed to eat the blood. You should spill it on, uh, uh, on the ground like, uh, like water. And then, not getting into the de- details here, here, but there's a mitzvah of kiswe hadam, of, of covering the blood with, uh, uh, with earth. I hope we'll mention that a, a bit later in the session. And then, a couple of psukim later, when God expands your, uh, your boundaries, you are settled in the land of Israel. Uh, and you say, I am going to eat meat. I want to eat meat. Because your appetite desires to eat meat. Well then, with all the desire of your appetite, you can eat meat. It sounds a, a bit redundant. It's, if we haven't figured it out yet, the word uh, ta'ava or ava has been mentioned three times uh, so far. Avat nafshecha, that expression. Why would you eat meat? Because you desire it. You're allowed to. And then when, but then when you're further, far away from, uh, from the Beit HaMikdash, you can still slaughter an animal. Kasher tziviticha. We're just gloss, glossing over that, but this is the source for a lot of discussion about uh, the rules of, of, uh, of shechita being in Torah Shabbal Peh. They're, they must be in the oral Torah because the written Torah doesn't say how we're supposed to kill an animal. It just says, as I commanded you, as God commanded us where? Not in the written Torah. It must be in the oral Torah. Then when you do that, you, swat, you kill the animal the way that I told you. And then you could eat it in your, in your uh, uh, territory, uh, literally in your gates, with all the desire of your appetite. Fourth time. Okay? But... Um, skipping a bit, Chazak, you need to be strong. Don't eat the blood. The blood is the life. They sometimes translated the blood is the soul. I think, uh, think the Pshad is usually understood to be the life. There's a variation of what Hashem told uh, Noah, but this is much uh, stricter because you can't eat just any animals. It's being mentioned here, but it, Elaborate on in greater detail elsewhere in Parsha Re, which animals are the kosher and the non-kosher ones. How do you kill the animal? As I commanded you, which we have a tradition about shechita and and, uh, um, and bedika and, and malicha and all sorts of rules about that. And you're not allowed to eat the blood. We usually assume that part of doing shechita properly is making sure that that the uh, the blood the blood comes out uh, and uh, the salt gets the uh, gets uh, the blood out. And then it repeats that a few more times. Don't eat it. Don't, don't eat that, uh, uh, that blood. So if I stopped here, so is it a mitzvah in the Torah to eat meat or not? Yes and no. It's in the category of mitzvah in the Torah that start with he. The word ki, which means in context, when. When this situation happens, then here's what you need to do about it. A lot of those here's what you need to do statements in the Torah are on the list of the 613 mitzvot. However, we, we mentioned this uh, in um, myth-busting session, session number six. One of the myths that I presented was that all the mitzvot in the Torah are supposed to be they're supposed to be done in an ideal way. Or the fact that the Torah tells you to do mitzvot, any, any given mitzvot, that means it's, the Torah wants you to do that. There are a bunch of sources. We only looked at a couple at the time, um, Rabbi Benjamin Blech, Rav Moshe Amiel. But there's plenty of precedent for saying that at least, at least a couple, if not a whole bunch of the mitzvot in the Torah are designed to be only if you're in that situation. It's not ideal, but if you're in the situation, here's what, here's what you need to do. The classic example of this, of course, is in the Gemara. The Gemara says it about Yifat Toar. The beautiful woman uh, who is taken captive by the uh, uh, by the Jewish soldier, uh, the woman is from the enemy. He should not just uh, rape her on the battlefield, but rather, if he wants to marry her, then he 
wants, then he needs to wait a, a month, etc., etc. The Gemara says about that, Dibber Torah Keneged Yetzirah. The Torah is responding to the desire, literally the evil inclination. In other words, the simple way to understand that Gemara is, uh, there's a lot to say about that Gemara. I have a separate share on that. But ideally, the sol- Jewish soldier wouldn't want to marry the Syrian woman or uh, uh, Saudi Arabian or whatever, Hamas, whatever enemy of the Jews, and convert her to Judaism? That, how is that going to work? How is she going to blend in? The whole thing is a bad idea, but the Torah says, if you're going to do it, here's, here's the way to do that. The, the question is, what other mitzvot are in this category? Um, Rabbi Amiel mentions a, a bunch of others. He mentions the mitzvah of a king, which is a debate in, uh, uh, in the Gemara, and he mentions this as well, the mitzvah of, uh, of, uh, of shechita, meaning if you're going to eat meat, if you need to eat meat, it says four times, if you desire to eat meat, well then, the mitzvah is to do, to kill the animal in this particular way. But there's room to say, Rav Amiel doesn't really spell this out, there's room to say that since this mitzvah starts, key, if... When you're in the situation, then here is the way you're supposed to deal with it. Then there's room to say maybe it would be better to not have the situation in the first place. And the one who says this explicitly in the classic sources, uh, one of the early achronim, uh, is Rav Yosef Albo. Rav Yosef Albo in the Sefer Ikarim uh, of the classic uh, Jewish philosophers. Uh, he's the only one, one of the only ones who wrote in Hebrew and not in, uh, in Arabic. Um, I'm going to skip till the next page because what he says first is a different issue. And if we have time, we'll, we'll come back to this. But he says, look at the end of source number nine. This is on the top left of page three. With the Torah, after the Torah was given, God permitted the Jews to eat meat. But lo Torah When God said, "If uh, you can do the mitzvah of shechita if you want to eat meat," that's only in the same way that, in the exact same way that God said, permitted the whole situation of yifatoar. God permitted eating meat, but really it will be better to not eat meat. And he quotes a gemara in partial support of this gemara in Chuan that says that the Torah doesn't tell you an obligation. The Torah teaches you derech eretz, meaning proper manners, uh, possibly proper morality, but in context, proper manners is probably more accurate, that it's better for a person not to eat meat at all except when they they really feel the need for it, which back at the time of the Gemara was probably uh, not that often. Hinei gilu beferush. They, the rabbis, the, the sages, they revealed explicitly here, Shachilat HaBasar, eating meat, Lohutar Ella, it was only permitted Al-Tzad HaEchrech, only when it was, to the extent that it's necessary. And that's why it was forbidden at the very beginning of creation, because it wasn't, uh, it wasn't necessary uh, at the beginning. This is, uh, this is Rav Albo. Um, I don't think he was vegetarian, or at least uh, I've never heard of of, uh, of him being a vegetarian. The there is a much later rabbi, rabbi died a little less than a uh, uh, hundred years ago, Rav Cook, who is incorrectly uh, attributed uh, the status of uh, being vegetarian. Why do people think that Rav Cook was a vegetarian? Because he wrote two long essays that were then uh, abbreviated into, uh, into this book that I'm holding up right here, a very, very thin book called Chazon HaTzimchanut V'Hashalom, A Vision of Vegetarianism and Peace, uh, that were put together by uh, his student, Rav David Cohen, not related to me. You can find it in English uh, online. Rav Cook talks about, and we'll see uh, bits of it shortly, how eating meat is not ideal, and in the in uh, the future, we'll, we will go back to the um, pre um, uh, to to the Edenic state uh, of being in the, in the Garden of Eden and, and not eating meat. Eating meat is a very pidyevid ne- uh, uh, thing. It's not ideal because Rav Cook is famous for saying that. People incorrectly assume that therefore he was a vegetarian. He was famously, or at least for the people who've uh, told who knew him personally, he was not a vegetarian because, as we'll see shortly, he also thought 
that it's not a good idea today to be a vegetarian. So saying vegetarianism is an ideal, that's the title of this uh, session, is not the same thing as saying you should actually do it. Let's look at just a couple of uh, uh, parts of Rav Cook. Rav Cook is difficult to understand uh, in, uh, in general because he wrote in very poetic Hebrew and also is a uh, pre, uh, pre-modern Hebrew. Um, but even in translation, it's not so easy. So I decided that I'll just, the parts that we're going to look at of Rav Cook, we're just going to look at in an Two things of, uh, from this booklet. One of them is he speaks about the phrase that we just looked at in source number, number nine, that when you say, I want to eat meat, I have the urge to eat meat, then fine. Rav Cook says there is a hidden rebuke here. In other words, Rav Cook compares eating meat to cannibalism. And Rav Cook says, uh, you already abhor the eating of human flesh, meaning people in general with rare exceptions in uh, cultures here and there in, uh, in human history. And even then, it tended to be very uh, uh, limited in, in specific situations. In general, in general, most human societies uh, consider cannibalism to be a, a terrible thing, uh, a uh, abhorrent thing. So if Cook says the Torah, that's why the Torah doesn't ban cannibalism. There's a whole shiur on this. I, I've heard shiurim on, on this topic, but this is one of the approaches. The Torah didn't need to make an, a prohibition against uh, eating people because one does not need an external warning when one has already acquired a certain concept. Uh, naturally, you already have it uh, in you. In contrast, most people do not abhor the eating of animal flesh. There doesn't seem to be uh, that kind of taboo in most societies. So that's why, so that's why Rav Cook uh, says, that's why he keeps referring to the desire. Because you desire it, because you haven't reached, you collectively, people, uh, Jews, you have not reached the level of viewing animals, uh, viewing the eating of animals in the same way that you view the eating of people. So fine. So as long as that's the case, you're allowed to eat uh, animals. But when the time comes in the future for the human moral condition to abhor eating the flesh of animals, you surely will not have the urge to eat meat, and then you will not eat it. That's, that's Rav Cook's interpretation of why the Torah says four times when you desire, when you, uh, uh, when you, you feel the, the urge to eat meat, that he thinks that the Torah itself is implying that in the, in the same breath as saying you're allowed to eat meat, it's presenting it as because this is the level that, that, that people are on. The people are not on uh, such an ideal level. Just one more brief thing before we... Uh, uh, we move on. Rav Cook speaks about how we should view eating meat as, as something embarrassing. Where do you see that? He says, because the Torah tells us to cover the blood, Rav Cook says, interprets this to mean it is hiding your shame and your moral weakness that we collectively, humans, we have not reached the level where we couldn't bring ourselves to, uh, to, to eat uh, animals. Because we're not on that level, okay, so we're allowed to eat animals, but on, on some level we're a little bit uh, uh, embarrassed uh, about that. A variation of this uh, appears in a, a Dvar Torah um, from uh, 1990 in the Long Island Jewish World by Rabbi J. Leonard Rahm, uh, source number 12. He is the father of a uh, classmate of mine at, at Yeshiva University. Uh, Rabbi Rahm is now retired, but he was a rabbi of uh, conservative synagogues in the New York area for many years, Parkchester, the Bronx, Baldwin, uh, Great Neck. Um, he and his wife made Aliyah, and they live in, uh, in Haifa. So he suggests that Kashrut, uh, overall, the regulations serve in a, in a sense to delustify the eating of meat, meaning if you translate avat nafshachah, is when you lust after meat. So Kashrut points us doesn't ban we kashrut does not ban eating meat, but it points us in the direction of moving away from that desire. So here's the scenario: you have a desire to eat meat. First of all, you are limited in your options as to which animals you may eat. Okay, you've selected what's kosher, what's not kosher. You've selected proper animal. You can't just kill it any way you please. You can't eat it if it's already dead. It's complicated procedures for slaughter. That ought to put the brakes on your desire. And then there's checking the knife and reciting the blessings. After this is 
more was more relevant back when people ate their own animals, which they had uh, slaughtered or had slaughtered in front of them. After the act of slaughter, there's a ceremonial burial of the blood, an inspection of organs. Okay, you can't eat all parts and fats of the animal. You see what he's doing? He's going through a lot of the of the rules of of uh, of kashrut to point in in one direction. You selected proper cut of the meat. Okay, was it soaked and salted to remove enough surface blood to make it less like real red bloody meat than the carnivore in you in you really craves? Okay, and now how are you going to prepare it and cook it and serve it? You have to keep it away from milk, etc., etc. You, sh- you sure you still want that? So yes, when you keep kosher, may still eat meat if it has undergone all the complicated steps to make it kosher, but there's at least a subconscious embarrassment about eating meat from everything that he said until now, meaning that uh, all the rules of kashrut, at least as originally uh, applied in pre-modern uh, times, without banning meat, they made, they, they made a slow down and, and restricted us in a lot of ways in the meat-eating uh, process. And then he adds th- something else, which is less obvious, but it's interesting theory. All utensils come in contact with meat are kept, kept separate and distinct from our, all other utensils we use for food. It's as though our milk, like our dairy utensils, those are our real utensils, and our fleshig, the meaty, meaty ones, are a segregated embarrassment for when we give in to our lust for meat. I don't know if I buy that, but, uh, but it, it's clever. If we po- stopped here, I'd say, well, then... There's reason to say that it's better not to eat meat because it's not ideal. Vegetarianism is ideal. However, both Rav Albo and Rav Cook give reasons why we should be wary about this. Meaning you can't just quote Rav Albo or Rav Cook to say, oh, that's why everybody should be vegetarians. The part that I skipped from Rav Albo, since we're running out of time, how did that happen? Um, uh, summarized here in source number 13, I'll just mention briefly, uh, Rabbi uh, David Nagar Powers is a uh, YU Musmach who's working as a computer programmer in the New York area. His last name used to be Nagar, or Eriko Nagar. Then he married a former student of mine named Leah Powers. And they combined their last names, so now, now they're both Nagar Powers. He wrote this article for a Yeshiva University publication back when he was in college. And it's pretty impressive, both because it's well-researched and, in the part we're going to see shortly of Rabbi Soloveitchik, nobody else seemed to have, seems to have noticed this. People like to quote Rav Albon and uh, Rav Cook on the subject. Rav, Rav Soloveitchik has basically gone under the radar. But just to summarize... Uh, what Rav Albo is concerned about, he warns his readers against thinking that people and animals are equals. And he interprets, I, this is in Hebrew that we skipped uh, earlier in, uh, in source number nine, he interprets the sin and the whole context of Cain and Hevel to, uh, to be based on the mistake, Cain's mistake in thinking that either you're not allowed to kill animals or people, or you are allowed to kill animals and people. But animals and people should be considered the same. Uh, so um, R- Rav Abel suggested that that was part of the problem. It led to the Cain killing Hevel. It ended up leading to, uh, to the flood. And that's why God emphasized that point, going back to the question of why did God allow uh, Noah to eat animals because this was God was saying that totally different answer from what we saw until now. Enough is enough. Okay, I'm making a distinction here between people and animals. It's not plants versus people and animals. It's plants and animals which you're allowed to eat and people you're not allowed to eat or kill for that matter. So Rav Albo is concerned about people uh, missing the distinction between pe- uh, people and animals. And Rav Cook having, even though he goes on and on about uh, great reasons to, um, um, to be a vegetarian, he also gives reasons why not to be a vegetarian. As summarized here in uh, Rabbi Nagar Powers, that first of all, Rav Cook says that there are major problems in the world. Um, I know he was writing uh, in the early 1900s and we don't have problems anymore, but let's imagine. There are major problems in the world. We haven't fixed uh, the problems of war. We haven't fixed the problems of injustice. So those are much big, should be much bigger priorities than the issue of of, uh, of eating meat. Uh, he's also concerned, about, like Rav Albo, about the problems of people saying, "Oh, you know, I could never kill an animal." 
because animals are special. Uh, people, eh, not so much. He's worried about, you know, if, uh, if people are no different from animals, so then, you know, this one kills an animal and this one kills a person or this one eats a person. What's the difference anyway? Rav Cook is concerned about that, that issue that uh, Rav Abel brought up. And, um, and a variation of this is that he's afraid that, well, you know, if animals and, and people are equal, then there's no difference between killing a person and swatting a fly. The difference between reasons two and three are one's about cannibalism, one's about, uh, about murder. And that's why Rav Cook thinks that vegetarianism, it is an ideal, but it's not an ideal in life as we know it, which is why... Uh, supposedly he didn't eat meat on, on Shabbat or maybe it was on Yom Tov, but like during the week, Rav Cook ate meat and he thought it was, uh, it was a good idea. So if somebody's going to quote Rav Cook about why vegetarianism is an ideal, well then they're, if you want to convince people to be vegetarian, you're going to need another source. To, in, to be a vegetarian today, you're going to need another source than that of, uh, of Rav Cook. It turns out there is another source of like major, major rabbis. As Rabbi Nagar Powers points out, Rav Salvechik wrote a whole essay called Man as a Carnivorous Being. Um, since we are running out of time, just going to look at a couple of bits of this, but this is part of his article. The reason why people have not noticed it is because even though Rabbi Salvechik died in uh, uh, 1993, these views were not published until 2005. One of the many uh, uh, books uh, written, <laughs> published by Rabbi Salvechik since, since he died. Um, so Rabbi Nagar Powers uh, uh, summarizes this, uh, uh, this, this long essay of, uh, of Rabbi Salvechik. And his, basically the summary is that, uh, that he is, uh, goes back to the word ta'ava, the, the lust uh, as the, the Torah uh, says four times in a row, and Re- Rabbi Salvechik suggests that, that it's a very negative formulation, that, um, that really it would be better not to, not to desire uh, to eat uh, animals, and he ties that into Parsha Balotcha, Kivrota Ta'ava, the, the lust for, uh, for, for animal flesh. According to Rabbi Salvechik, vegetarianism should be practiced, but okay, you know, People, it's, it's too hard for people, but, but really it would be better for people to not eat animals, just to, to sum up over here. Um, based on Rabbi Soloveitchik, uh, and he doesn't, the, the chidush, the, the new idea of Rabbi Soloveitchik compared to that of Rav Abo and, and Rav Cook is that he doesn't then say, however, I'm really concerned about people not being able to distinguish between uh, humans and animals. He doesn't bring that up, meaning he doesn't give the caveat of the like, well, you know, maybe it's a bad idea in practice. No, you could say based on, you can use Rav Salvechik's opinion to claim that vegetarianism should be an actualized uh, way of life. Um, does that mean that Rabbi Salvechik himself was a vegetarian? As far as I know, no, but he wasn't concerned in the way that, uh, that Rav Cook was. Okay, I know we don't have that much time. Uh, must we eat meat on Shabbat and Yom Tov? The reason that, that well, people are, are often uh, have heard that it says in various sources that there's an obligation to eat meat on Shabbat and Yom Tov. So it turns out that this is not true. It does say in the sources to eat meat on Shabbat and Yom Tov, but as is uh, formulated here uh, very clearly in the Mishnah Berurah, talking about Shabbat, the rule is for Oneg Shabbat is you should eat you should eat the foods that you enjoy. Since, and, and uh, the Chavetz Chaim in, uh, in the Mishabura goes on to, to say, since the minastam, the assumption has been that most people enjoy eating meat, drinking wine. Uh, so that's why sources speak about um, having, uh, having these foods on Shabbat. But the main thing is that you should eat the foods that you like and avoid the foods that you don't like. And he even mentions uh, in passing there's, there's an Indian of having fish uh, uh, at, the, at the meals on Shabbat. And there are even opinions that, that he quotes here saying that you should eat fish all three meals on Shabbat. But that's unless you don't like eating fish. If you don't like eating it, then don't eat it. Meaning it's not, it's not like most halachot. Most halachot are objective. The halachot that applies to me is the same halachot that applies to you. If we're in the same time and place, in the same community, etc. This halacha of Onik Shabbat is formulated in a subjective way. And uh, 
the way that Rav Moshe Halevi Steinberg explains it in his book Chukat Hager, which is uh, about uh, conversion to traditional Judaism, a relatively early source, meaning compared to today, because 1971, he, he asks, is somebody allowed to convert to Judaism if they insist on being a, a uh, vegetarian? After all, what about Shabbat and Yom Tov? And he goes through the, the sources, um, and he points out, in addition to what we just said, that the Shulchan Aruch itself gives an exception to the rule that you have to eat three meals on Shabbat. This is here in source number B. It's as quoted by Rabbi Steinberg. It is forbidden to fast on Shabbat, but and it's forbidden to cry on Shabbat because you're supposed to enjoy Shabbat. But if fasting and or crying, those are what you find enjoyable, then it's okay. Meaning even something that, that is intrinsically against, uh, the, like the opposite of, of enjoyment of Shabbat for most people, an individual who really enjoys, they, they're crying to, uh, to feel better afterwards. Uh, that's Rabbi Akiva. Uh, or they're, they're fasting on Shabbat because they fast or partial, partially fast every day. So it would be hard for them to stop fasting on, on Shabbat. That's Rabbi Huda Hasid quoted here in the Shulchan Aruch. Point is, that just brings out, uh, it emphasizes what we said before, which is the, if you, should you eat meat on Shabbat? Yes, if you eat meat in general and you like eating meat. If you like eating meat, well then make that a special thing that, that you eat on Shabbat. Great. But if you, for whatever reason, don't want to eat meat, then if you don't enjoy it for whatever reason, uh, whether your your taste buds or your digestive system or your sense of morality or whatever, well then don't. It's, this is not even controversial. What is controversial is the obligation of eating meat on Yom Tov. Those of you who were uh, in the myth-busting class may recall that we spoke about this uh, at greater length in myth-busting session number four. Uh, I'm just going to, uh, to summarize here. Um, there were more sources there. That, there, the question is uh, the Rambam and what does the Rambam mean? Because the Rambam seems to say there's an actual obligation of eating meat on, on Yom Tov. Okay, we're going to set that aside for now because this is just a, um, a separate point. But how about the bottom line? Bottom line is, unless you're Yemenite, you don't follow the Rambam for halachic bottom line. The default is that the Shulchan Aruch is the bottom line. The Shulchan Aruch is interpreted by, by the commentaries. And the Shulchan Aruch uh, says pretty clearly um, in, uh, in source, uh, uh, source, source number two um, that the obligation on Yom Tov is to be in a good mood. You should be in a good mood. And the way it's formulated in the Gemara is, how do men get in a good mood? They, uh, they eat meat. And at the time of the Beit HaMikdash, I'm, I'm sorry, at the time of the Beit HaMikdash, it was to eat meat. And, and nowadays, for men anyway, it's to drink wine. And for women, it's to have nice clothes. And for kids, it's to have candy. But this is not an absolute thing. These are just examples. Uh, where, I mean, in other words, the people at the time of the Gemara, men, women, and children were assumed to like these specific things. But as formulated in some of the Achronim, uh, commenting on the Shulchan Aruch, for example, Rav Shneir Zalman of Liadi, uh, known as the Balatanya, in his halachic work, which people call Shulchan Aruch Harav, um, he points out, so he suggests that even though Rav Karo rejects the Rambam, who says there's an obligation of eating meat on, on Yom Tov, possibly only for men. Nevertheless, uh, Shulchan Aruch Harav thinks that while meat is not an ob- obligation, it is a mitzvah if it's something that you enjoy, meaning it, goes, it fits into Simchat Yom Tov can be compared to uh, Oneg Shabbat. In both of them, you should eat the foods that you enjoy as formulated, and with this we'll, we'll wrap it up, as formulated by the, the Shagat Aryeh, uh, Major, uh, Major Achron uh, commenting on, uh, on Gemara and Torah Shabbat Peh in general, he says that the mitzvah of Simchan Yom Tov is a Simcha Kvalit. It's not, it, it's a general obligation of, uh, it's an obligation on, uh, to be happy in general as opposed to a specific thing. There, there aren't specific things that you need to eat or wear on Yom Tov. It's that, 
However you can make yourself happy, you know, parenthetically, according, within the confines of halacha, there are a lot of things you're not allowed to do on Yom Tov, um, but within that which is allowed, if there's something that you would like to do that you are technically allowed to do on Yom Tov that will make you happy, then you should do that. This, is, this mitzvah of is different from other mitzvot which are the same for everybody, or almost everybody. This mitzvah is personalized. This mitzvah is subjective. And then he says, and as for what it says in the Gemara about during the time that there was a Beit HaMikdash, that there was a mitzvah of, uh, of Shalmei Simcha, which some want to tie into the obligation of, uh, of Simcha and Yom Tov. He says, no, when there was a Beit HaMikdash, then there was also an obligation to bring uh, Karban Shlamim, uh, Shalmei Simcha. But that, even at the time of the Beit HaMikdash, that was not the mitzvah of Simcha and Yom Tov. The mitzvah of Simcha and Yom Tov then and now was, you should... Do that which is allowed on Yom Tov and that which will make you happy, whether it involves eating something, drinking something, wearing something, presumably playing something, whatever, whatever activity uh, that, that makes you happy, that's the mitzvah of Simchat Yom Tov. So going back to what we said before about Shabbat, the fact that classic sources speak about meat, that's, they're starting with the assumption that that's what makes you happy. That's what you enjoy. And for many people, that is still true. And therefore, for many people, eating meat on Shabbat and on Yom Tov is a fulfillment of these mitzvot, of, of Oneg Shabbat and Simchat Yom Tov. But if for whatever reason you don't enjoy eating meat, then there's, you're not fulfilling a mitzvah to, uh, uh, to eat it because the mitzvah is about eating what you like. If anything, the people say, oh, the mitzvah is to eat meat, they've missed the point because they're, they, maybe they love eating meat, but they... There might be something else that they enjoy eating, and they think that there isn't a mitzvah to eat that on Yom Tov. No, no, the mitzvah is whatever it is that you personally enjoy, and that is allowed on on Yom Tov. You should do that on Yom Tov. It's not about the meat. It's not about the wine. It's about the uh, pleasure that is uh, that is permitted. So that uh, hope I hope that I've clarified that somewhat. The short answer of must we eat meat on Shabbat and Yom Tov? The answer is yes if that's what you love to eat. If it's not what you love to eat, then no, eat on Shabbat and Yom Tov what you do love to eat. Okay, we are done with the uh, halacha topic, and now I'd like to uh, briefly look at some recipes and uh, dessert ideas for Parsha Korach. For those of you who were not here last week, last week I presented Parsha recipes on Parsha Ba'alotcha and on Parsha Shlach because... Uh, here in, in, in uh, Eretz Israel, we are one week ahead in the, of Chutzvaretz uh, in, uh, in the Parsha. I uploaded to the website today the document called Recipes for Parsha Shlach. For those of you in Chutzvaretz, if you didn't see it last week, then you can get it uh, this week. But for right now, we're just going to do, uh, from now on, for the next few weeks, we'll be doing the recipes just for the Israel uh, Parsha. There's a baker um, Orthodox Jewish baker in Johannesburg named Orit Tabak. Tabak, I don't know how it's pronounced. And she uh, presents in her um, Parsha dessert blog uh, earthquake cookies, because Korach, uh, earth, earthquake, uh, Korach is, is swallowed by, by the earth. She makes the cookies called zebra cookies, uh, or, uh, or others call uh, crinkle cookies. Here's a, here's a picture of the ones that, that she made. In other words, we imagine the earth cracking open and, uh, and Korach and uh, the other, other bad people uh, falling in. Uh, that's one possibility. Another one from uh, Tammy Raps, the um, uh, teacher in uh, uh, Teaneck, calls, calls herself Parsha Mom because of the, all the uh, 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 Parsha-related foods that she's posted about. Since Korach is, is about divisiveness, so she mentions the crinkle cookies, but she also, also mentions making a tomato salad because you could argue about it should be pronounced tomato or tomato, and possibly hot and spicy foods as as well uh, for the uh, to represent uh, divisiveness. I don't know if that's uh, that might be a, a bit too uh, too abstract. Uh, I mentioned uh, last week that some people uh, when they're looking for uh, parasha related desserts, they're looking for, really, they're looking f- for something they can make with their kids. 
a kind of craft. So that's presented here in the uh, blog called Chala Crumbs, uh, edited by Devar Levine Katz. Uh, on the later part of the story where uh, God tells each tribe to, uh, to bring a, a rod, a staff, and only Aaron's rod, representing Levi, put forth buds and, 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 uh, and almonds. It's, it's sprouted almonds. So you take, here's a picture, you take the, uh, the pretzel rods and you melt chocolate and you, you dip the, uh, the pretzel rods in that and then you uh, decorate them with uh, different types of, of sprinkles to represent the, uh, uh, the flowers. Very, very clever and relatively straightforward. Um, the, uh, Alicia Gachter, in, in, uh, in her uh, Parsha uh, food blog, she pointed out that, that this, the image of the staff that we just described always reminds her of the scene in the Disney movie Pinocchio, where Pinocchio's nose grows so long from lying it starts to sprout leaves and, uh, and flowers. Um, Although she doesn't actually have something that's directly about that, uh, but uh, she uh, recommends something made with almonds. Okay, it's not so visual, but uh, the Aaron's uh, staff sprouted almonds, so chocolate almond uh, biscotti um, and uh, spiced almonds. And uh, what, what she mentions, actually, skip this. This was at, at the end of the uh, uh, her introduction. Um, she wanted to look up a sunken cake to reenact the earth swallowing Korach. This is a bit more, uh, more abstract than the, uh, uh, the crinkle cookies. The problem is if you're looking online, most people are trying to avoid sunken cakes. Um, so, but she, she found a recipe for a lovely cherry sunken cake, and it looks uh, 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 concave. I see that Joan writes, pretty much every cake I bake is a sunken cake. So here you go. So here is, uh, I don't know if it's so clear, but apparently from this picture, um, the, the middle of this cake is lower than the rest of it. So it's called a, uh, a sunken cake. I don't know about you. If, if, I, were, if I were baking stuff, uh, which I'm not, uh, but if I were baking stuff, I would probably go with the, uh, with the earthquake uh, cookies. Okay. Uh, our time is up. Would anybody like to... Uh, bring up any uh, any issues in the uh, in the chat, uh, or uh, or unmute yourself and uh, and ask a question. Uh, I have a question, Rabbi. Usually, the, the, the life the, the life the blood is really the life of the person, and and perhaps you know because that is that's the life that's according to the Torah. So it could be that's one of the reasons why we just don't eat the blood, and that's why there's such. Uh, I, I don't know if you mentioned that. Um, we, we mentioned in passing uh, that that's, uh, that would seem to be like the, the next psukim after the ones about, uh, about uh, had, slaughtering the animal and, and eating it. It's, uh, it's very, very important to not, not eat the, uh, the blood uh, of, the, of the animal. So, yes, Adam Hu Anefesh, there's a lot you could say about that. Um, uh, yes, so uh, that... Uh, that's why I've heard I've heard people uh, argue that that's why kosher meat can't ever taste as good as the the non-kosher meat because our meat doesn't have the blood in it, quote unquote. I heard that from somebody quoting his uh, his father who was uh, where the son was keeping kosher and the uh, the father was not. I don't know if it's true, but um, it would not surprise me if it's true. Okay, thank you. Okay, I see that Mark wrote. Uh, just last week, the New York State of Appeal ruled that an elephant in the Bronx Zoo is not a person legally and cannot benefit from certain uh, human legal rights. Right. That was happy the elephant, uh, but the ruling was not a slam dunk, uh, five to two. So, yeah, how do you feel about elephants, peoplehood, and halacha? So that's, uh, that's something that I would like to think that um, rabbis and people wearing Torah across the spectrum should be able to agree on that just based on the source that we saw in, in, uh, in source, source number two, um, from the way that, that Hashem formulates it to, uh, to, uh, to Noah, you're allowed to eat animals because people are creating the image of God. Implication, animals are not. It's not clear to me how... How obvious the line between people and animals 
would be or should be for those people who don't start where we do. We start from the Torah. We start from ethical monotheism where God, we have a tradition that people are creating the image of, of God and animals are not. That's a very clear distinction. But if you don't start from that perspective, it could be, it could be that it's not so, uh, so obvious. I, I, I understand that that's very much on the margins of society today, but I'm saying we can, uh, I'm not defending that approach because, like I said, it's pretty much open and shut from a Torah perspective. But if you, for those people, let's say people who are uh, making rules for uh, a society that is not Torah-based, um, why is it so obvious that uh, people have rights that, that animals do not? My impression is that pretty much everybody can agree that humans have rights that animals should not, but it's not so obvious why. Um, that's, uh, that's what I have to say about that. I'd be interested to, to read a, a uh, presentation from an atheist or somebody who is rejecting you know, uh, uh, the Torah, starting from a different perspective, and yet they'll come to the same conclusion, but it's not clear to me how, how, that, would, uh, how that would happen. Uh, I see that Hannah uh, brought up, where does chicken come in with regards to modern definitions of meat and Judaism? So that's one of those uh, things that, as a result of the rabbis, uh, the definition changed, right? The, uh, uh, on the Torah level, uh, birds are not meat. Uh, they, just like fish, are not meat. And yet, uh, the, the majority opinion at the time of the Gemara was to, uh, to treat uh, to treat birds as uh, as meat, and then with all sorts of ramifications for uh, for kashrut. But it even though we do consider um, uh, chicken and other birds, uh, kosher birds, to be to be meat. Bottom line is there will always be distinctions between that which it, uh, in halacha between that which the Torah considers meat and that which the rabbis uh, consider to be meat. It could still be bottom line: you're not allowed to eat. Uh, chicken and cheese sandwich, but the question is, um, what happens when, when there are conflicts and, uh, and one is choosing between, let's say, Torah violations and rabbinic violations? This is the sort of thing that I tend not to get into, but there are rabbis who specialize in the, this, this kind of, of, uh, of issue. If somebody eats at uh, Burger McDonald's, how many prohibitions have they violated? Do we still apply the prohibition of eating if the meat was not shechted, that sort of thing. Like I said, it's not really my thing, but uh, there are people who love that sort of, uh, that, that type of, of, of question, that type of, uh, of discussion. I see that Joan wrote, my son suggests we also make ice for Shabbat because uh, Korach is the same letters as Kerach, which is ice in Hebrew. That would be one of those uh, uh, one of those word plays that Israelis are going to come up with uh, and people whose first language is uh, something other than Hebrew are not as likely to, uh, to come up with. Um, you know, like the same way that for the symbolic foods of, uh, on Rosh Hashanah, uh, the same way that there were generations of Yiddish-speaking Jews who came up with foods where the word play is, uh, is in Yiddish, uh, you know, like carrots, because carrots uh, in Yiddish is merin, and merin means more. So, too, you have Israelis uh, who come up with uh, uh, some, making the food symbolic, the foods that you're eating anyway, like basar, meat, for example. And they, they say we should that we should only hear uh, good news, because basar and basarot are also the same, uh, uh, the same letters. And what's the other one? Oh, Marak. Yimarku avonenu. Marak is soup. So our, our sins should be wiped out. So yes, this is, uh, the word play tends to be different based on, uh, based on the language, uh, the first, uh, first language that people speak. Uh, so Mark points out that the carrot also works as word play in, uh, in Hebrew because uh, uh, Gezer uh, carrot is like gazar, you know, you should only have a uh, good gzerot, uh, uh, or, or that a bad gzerot should, uh, should be wiped out. And people even uh, try to make it work in English as well. They say, uh, we should not care at all about, about, uh, uh, about, our pro about problems this year.
We shouldn't have problems to care about. No, to care at all about. It's a bit weak, but people like to uh, to do these things, and there's a great tradition of doing that on uh, on Rosh Hashanah. Okay, uh, thanks for joining me. And uh, next week we'll go back to a more more even balance of uh, two topics. One is a hashkafa topic about the significance of of, of eating and the place of eating in uh, in Jewish thought, as compo- as compared with a uh, a halachic issue, which is a, a different one. Oh yes, and Mark uh, Mark concludes with the lettuce, half a raisin, and celery uh, as a uh, the special food, symbolic food in Rosh Hashanah to represent lettuce, half a raisin, celery. Okay. Thank you. Have a Shabbat Shalom. Be well. Thank you. You too. Thank you. Bye. Thanks to everybody for, for joining me. And